You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Kristen Connor, Enterprise Account Executive at UserGems. Like, let's define what the concept is. Do we want to be 20% better? Do we want to see 2 million in error? Do we want to save 36% of our SDRs time. What are we trying to prove here? Let's define that so that we know what success looks like going in. We're back and this time it's all about sales. And today we're gonna talk to a person that has worked for three unicorns and she will take us through both uh, aspects of training but also how different phases in the sales process can be done and some best practices and so on. And Daniel, I know that you have waited for this. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I don't want to spill the beans in, in, in any way, but I think we're going to find out in this session, there's a good way of running sales and then there's less of a good way and it all comes down to structure and process and training. So tune in if you want to up your game to the next level. Here we go. Today, we are very happy to be joined by Kristen Connor, Enterprise Account Executive at UserGems. So welcome to the SAS Nordic Podcast, Kristen. Hey, it's great to be with you. Hey, it's, it's great to have you here. And I'm one of those uh, lurkers on LinkedIn looking always for, for great <laughs> content. And that's that's how I came across you. Like you like really solid content and really specific on account executives and salespeople and so on. But for the ones that are not lurkers like myself and might not know you from the past, who is Kristen? <laughs> well, that's a loaded question. But as far as as far as work history goes, um, I've been um, both very fortunate and very intentional about targeting very specific types of companies. Um, so in my background, I've been um, lucky enough to work for three different unicorn um, tech companies. So the first was Tableau, and then Salesforce, and then most lately um, Outreach. And then now um, at like at User Gems, like you mentioned, um, 50 person Series A startup, which is something that I had on my um, sales career bucket list right. uh, to be with a company from from Series A um, through IPO. So yeah, it's been very exciting. That's very different going from uh, these big giants because obviously I know that y- you've joined them as they already were rather large and big. To something significantly smaller like you know what happened mm-hmm. well i um my parents both ran their own um organizations when i was growing up and they were both organizations sub 50 people and so we were always very involved in building i mean it was just like conversation at the dinner table like what do you think we should do about this and they involved us kids in it from when we were 10 11 12 years old and um i always really enjoyed that i thought it was normal my husband assures me that is not um, typical dinner conversation, maybe. Um, and so I, I always knew that I enjoyed that piece of it, enjoyed building, enjoyed that p- feeling of having to build something kind of on the fly and pivot. It's exciting. So it didn't really feel that new to me um, because I'd had it growing up. And then we just combined my growing up with now doing it in tech. So it's very fun. I like it. Right. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but th- you also had a slightly different background. You, you started your working career 
not in in sales and in tech, right? It was somewhere else in the beginning. Yeah. So yes, I was a teacher at the beginning. I taught uh, middle school history uh, for uh, several years and um, realized that unfortunately um, in the U.S. public education does not um, love doing things differently, nor do they love... um, nor do they want to pivot or change a lot. And so it was it was not a great fit. Uh, I loved the kids. So I ended up um, doing a lot of volunteer work with kids and then trying to figure out what else I wanted to do. And um, and the, it, at the time, uh, my dad's um, my dad owned an insurance agency that kind of operated worldwide and needed some help. So I went back to do that. And I thought, oh, well, I'll just take over his business, you know, just buy the family business when he's ready to retire and ran it for a couple of years with him. And biggest thing I learned was I did not want to run an insurance agency. So (laughs) then I had to tell my dad, gosh, I'm sorry that I can't, that's not the plan anymore. And so I I kind of sat down and really thought, well, what, what do I like to do? What can I make money at? What, what, how do I want to spend my time? And as I looked both as a teacher and then as a person who ran a, a company, like what I liked to do was tech. Like I, I followed tech um, I was always the one pushing for more tech. There has to be a better, faster way to do this. And so then I started to think, well, if I want to do that, I have to be able to make it make sense for someone to hire me. Right. And so in the in the city where I lived at the time, there was a um, company backed by Vista Equity Partners that sold to K-12 education. And so I was like, OK, this is a, this is a conversation that would make sense because I understand education. I know the vocabulary. I know the decision makers. And um, and so was able to convince them to take a chance on me. And I'm very glad they did. It was awesome. All right. So you found your way into SAS eventually and got to join yeah. uh, these uh, big, big unicorns. But what can you tell us about the company that you are working for now? So what are you guys doing? And uh, yeah. Tell us about it. Yeah. So User Gems does what every um, everybody in sales from the sales execs to CROs want to do, which is be easily be able to track people that have bought from you before. I thought you'd say cold calls. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not that. Um, no. So everybody, I think, tries to kind of create, find a system of how can I track people that have bought from me before, but it's really hard to do it. Um, at scale, um, if you have hundreds or thousands of accounts. Um, so yeah, so that's so whenever I find tech that that I would use or I would pay for myself, that's a very big criteria in the way I choose companies. And also, um, I've been very intentional about choosing companies where the buyer is someone I want to have a conversation with. Um, I like talking to sales and marketing people. All right. When I was, you know, I've been in conversations in places where I've, we've had very technical buyers and I learned that those were not my favorite. And uh, so I wanted to uh, do something, do something because you have to, you have to enjoy your life. Like you have to enjoy the conversations that you have, that you have, or it's just, it's not going to go very well. Mm, right. I think a lot of people, well, maybe not uh, might know this, but when I had a real job, Kristen, uh, I, I worked like you. <laughs> <laughs> And and when I when I would bump into people that were uh, technically savvy, the technical buyers, mm-hmm. that's where I had Thomas. Okay. That's where that's how Thomas and I met. He was my technical conscious. He he was the brain. Excellent. He was the brain. I I, I was just the good looking face. No, yeah, the the technical sellers that I've worked with have been amazing and huge resources and uh, 
they're incredibly valuable. No one wants me as the technical seller for sure, but that's fine. So is there any particular companies that you sell to? Uh, is this for everyone or is it uh, some verticals that are specifically interesting for you? Yeah. So our kind of uh, ICP or ideal client profile is definitely that small to mid-sized tech uh, because they're because people in tech change jobs a lot. Right. Um, other industries do, too. But if you're in if you're in like a highly regulated industry or like folks in financial services, banks, insurance companies, some those folks sometimes say 15, 20 years. And so something that tracks when they move is not as valuable as in tech, where you see people changing roles every 18 to 36 months. Yeah. And when they go, they have budget. Right. They, they get new budget because they're a new hire. And so you want to find them very quickly. Okay. And what can you tell us about the size of the uh, operation? What are you in terms of ARR, number of customers, uh, on what markets are you active and so on? Yeah. Um, so we are, uh, yeah, we, so markets, we operate um, definitely um, U.S. and Europe. Our founders um, are from Europe. So we, we definitely, we started there. And I think half of our, I think half of our technical team is in spread throughout Europe uh, and EMEA. Um, and then U.S. is obviously a very large market for us. Um, everybody from, you know, 10, 15 person companies to, you know, thousands. We have several dozen publicly traded companies at this point. So I think and I think we I think our team started the year at I think eight. I think the whole company was 18 people in January. And now I think we're like at 56. So it's wow. um, it's definitely been a, a, a big takeoff this year. Could you just give us some idea of the size of the operation now? How how many employees are you for the moment? Yeah, I think we just onboarded several people, so I think we're like at fifty six at the moment. Up from I think we I think the team started the whole company started at about eighteen uh, in January. Wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. And and uh, what about customers? Uh, how many customers do you have roughly? Yeah, I think right now it's between one hundred and fifty and two hundred. I haven't seen the latest okay. numbers, but yeah. Several, and I think, and at least a dozen of those are publicly traded. So, all right, get, we're getting out there. And um, what markets are you focusing on? Or are you both in in the U.S. and over here in Europe? Yep, U.S. and Europe for sure. Okay, and your founders were Austrian, right? Mm-hmm. So, so did they start it out here, or how 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 did you end it up? Yeah, uh, it started the, it started there, which is why I think um, a lot of our product and dev team um, is in um, UK and Germany and spread spread throughout. Um, and yeah, I, I think they I think they came to the US to be when they were uh, part of Y Combinator out in California and then stayed. Okay. So that was sort of a, a boost right across the at, uh, Atlantic from the beginning then. Yeah. Okay. So what can you say about uh, funding? How have you financed the operation? Yeah. So our Series A was 20 million. And it was led by um, Craft Ventures and also Battery Ventures and then Tiger Global. And then and then our seed round, uh, including seed round of with Uncork Capital. Holy smokes, that must be the best ever funding list I've ever heard. <laughs> well, thank you. They, uh, y, I'm sure, I think um, Y Combinator helps um, get, get the word out for sure. And our um, CEO and CTO, who are twin brothers, are... Um, very passionate and very dynamic, and they've been working on this for for quite a while. So I think it's to their credit that they were able to to round up an, a list like that. 
Awesome. Awesome. Uh, very good. And, and now I'm, I'm curious to, to dig into the, the main topic of today. And we're here really to, to pick your brain on all things sales, Kristen. And what we really want to talk to you about is some of the learnings you've had when working for these three unicorns that you mentioned here earlier. And I know that you've, you've talked a lot about, for example, training, that there are certain things that these companies pick up and highlight and so on. What can you tell about what's unique with training at unicorns like this? I think the, the biggest thing, the biggest difference is that at companies that have a high emphasis on training, you get training on how to have executive conversations not just training on the product. Um, so uh, I'm talking about um, training done by Skip Miller, done by Corporate Visions, um, where they teach you um, how to read a 10K. What does an executive's day look like? How do priorities differ between um, folks that are manager and below versus director and above? And how do you run a sales cycle understanding both of those dynamics. Um, that was something that I intuitively knew that I needed, but I didn't know it existed. And then um, starting at Tableau, I was lucky enough to be part of that. And I was like, yeah, this, this is what I've been looking for. I can, there's enough resources that I can understand the product piece of it. That is not lacking, but I need to know the, the um, Tableau called it the so what, right? Like, yeah, I understand what the product does. So what, what does that mean? to the person on the other side of the table. And I think because I had been the buyer whenever I was at the agency, like I understood like what salespeople want to talk about is not, is not always what executives want to talk about. So a question there, is that more of a theoretical exercise or is that also a practical like role-playing um, you know, component in that? Um, yeah, whenever we did the trainings in both of those, um, they train you first in the concept, but then there is um, role play and homework and um, ta and certification on how to have a conversation in that way. Um, on in in one of them, it was like presentations where if you just got called on um, randomly and like your boss was there and your boss's boss was there. It was okay. It was intense. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> yeah. It was intense. So uh, if you would pinpoint a few things, like well. Did you have any aha moments when, when they were walking you through this training? Like, this is how you speak to people above the line, so to say. Mm -hmm. This is what you need to know. Like, what are those things? Yeah. So the first thing um, is the idea of um, towards language versus away language. And the, the idea is there, the concept behind that is that 80% of people are more motivated to move away from something than they are to move towards something. Um, in the book, um, I think Thomas Fries um, does it, gives a great example in Secrets of Question-Based Selling, where he says more people will run from a German shepherd than towards a gold medal, <laughs> right? Like it, like when you say it like that, you're like, that's right, that is correct. And so, but salespeople, because we tend to be positive and risk takers and we, and founders, right? Like founders of tech companies tend to be risk takers and they have, have a high risk tolerance, um, there's sometimes a disconnect because they will speak in towards language. They are like, if it's not broke, let's break it so that we can make it better. But 80% of the population doesn't think like that. And so if you are speaking the wrong language, 
you're not going to get any traction. So that was a big aha moment for me and realized that even the even the content that I was getting from training, many times features and benefits are positioned as they are benefits, right? Like what are you moving towards? What time are you saving? What ROI are you getting versus the idea of what goes away? What will you no longer have to do with have to deal with? What headache will you be rid of? And it's a real mind twist to be able to look at that and go, okay, I'm used to stating everything in a positive. How can I change this to be, this is what you're getting away from whenever, you know, you look at my product. Right. And and was this methodology taught to you in a sense that this is how you should speak to everyone or just the executives? Um, Always, uh, like pretty much everyone, any any buyer you deal with. And then the executive piece was the second part of what you asked. Um, and the biggest um, takeaway that I got from the trainings that we did at, at Tableau and, and then at Outreach was um, that executives think about market share and risk. Executives do not think about feature function because they will likely not use your product. They may never log into it. The only thing they care about feature function is that the person that that reports to them who's going to be using it likes it and it works for them, but they are going to delegate that part of the evaluation. They care about they care about their initiatives and market share and risk. And if you don't speak to them in those terms, then you won't speak to them very often. All right. So Taking user gems as an example here, so what would that sound like uh, towards versus away language? Ooh, I like that. Yeah, so I mean that we don't need to do the towards because that's the wrong example. But the <laughs> but the but the but the away language sounds like um, you know you know how your um, sales reps or SDRs are spending a lot of time doing manual research to try to find their past buyers who have moved. With user gems, what goes away is the manual research. It's manually researching, manually uploading things to Zoom Info or LinkedIn, manually downloading, copy and pasting, and then sitting there with a blinking cursor trying to figure out, I know this person moved, now what do I say? And then how often do I reach out? What is the cadence that I should be following? So so due to automation and the best practice and the playbook content that we have, what goes away is all the manual pieces of tracking your champions. Okay. And uh, clearly you are growing, so uh, it's a message that resonates with people, it seems. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, move on to uh, discovery. I mean, a good discovery sets the tone for the rest of the sales cycle. And what have you learned about discovery calls and meetings through the years? (laughs) Uh, That companies want to train you on discovery questions that are based around product. And that very often, um, if, again, this is back to the executive, they tell you, you know, you need to call high in the organization. You need to reach the decision maker, but you will never reach a decision maker asking, like if you're on the phone and you happen to get them on a cold call or or an SDR happens to get them on the cold call, they're asking about features and benefits, that executive will never speak to you. Um, So you have to, so I think the, the, Posts I've done about discovery on LinkedIn have taken off uh, probably more than anything. And I think that's I think that is the reason is that so few organizations say to a rep, this is here are the 10 questions 
that a good discovery call includes. At this company, good discovery sounds like this. It starts with credibility. It then it moves to humbling disclaimer, which and that's a Charles Muhlbauer Mule, uh, methodology. And all he does on LinkedIn is talk about discovery. That tells you how big that topic is, right? Where that's all he posts about. <laughs> um, and and the other thing I think is frequently because we are only training reps on questions around product, we are not teaching them second and third level discovery questions. Can you give us some example? What does that mean? Yes. So I was just on a call. I was just on a first call today with someone who said, to what extent would this match up with some metrics that you are trying to hit? And he said, well, we have some pretty hefty pipeline goals in the next year. And I said, okay, pretty hefty. What does that mean to you? Does that mean 5x, you know, you know, 5x in five years? Does that mean you have a 6% gap? Like, what does that mean? And he said, in the next five years, we want to be a 1 billion, we have a we want to have a $1 billion valuation. That is a number that I can use. But you have to, but you have to ask the second and third level question, right? Like, if they say, oh, this is, this is important. This is definitely something that's important to us this year. Okay, great. If you were to put your top three priorities for this year on a slide, would this make the slide? Yeah. Right. Like you, that you have to go that second, that second layer. And interestingly enough, the, the higher up generally, the higher you go, the, the more executive level um, decision makers are more open with that information because they want to get to the bottom line quickly. They know their metrics and they just want to know if you can help them. The lower on the power line you go, the less willing they are to give you those because they don't know what they should say to someone who's not in their company. So frequently, if you want to get those more impactful metrics, you need to talk to somebody who's director and above. Okay. So do you have any standard first line questions that you use like regularly or, or circle at least in order to be able to get to those second and third line questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, this is, this is a Charles, this is like directly from Charles Mulbauer, but I found it is the thing that works best to open the call because it establishes credibility immediately where they feel like they don't need to educate you on their industry. And they see that you are a person that knows their world enough knows what they're talking about. Um, and so then they are more willing to open up. So, um, so it sounds like, um, you know, in this role, as you can, as you can imagine, I talk with sales leaders all day long and they tell me things that they're facing heartburn with and, and goals that they have. And frequently that sounds like, um, they are either looking to capitalize on, and make strategic investment, or they are looking to catch up uh, because they're behind in some way. Uh, many sales leaders are looking at double digit um, pipeline growth expectations, and they have no idea how to hit them. Many of them are looking at hiring freezes, and yet their quotas are not going down. And so just curious, like how much of that sounds like your world and, and what did I miss? Right. So you're showing them, I know I talk to people just like you. I know issues that you're facing and then you just, you know, you, then your disclaimer at the end, but I, this may not be exactly what you're facing. Like, what did I miss? And people love to correct other people. I used to think it was super important to get that exactly right, but people love to correct other people and they especially love to correct salespeople, <laughs> right? Like, and so you've shown that you've done your homework, 
right? You're not asking them, so what do you guys do? Never. That's never a question. Um, but then they then they will be more open because they it's more of a peer conversation because you're using vocabulary that sounds familiar to them. Right. And so that makes it easier to start that conversation. And you're essentially giving them multiple choice, right? Think about when you're in school. Do you want an open-ended answer? <laughs> do you want an essay question or do you want multiple choice, right? It's much easier to get people's brains working when you give them like, here's the top three things I hear, then they can choose or tweak it rather than just having to be like, uh, I don't even know what I had for lunch. I can't tell you the top three things I'm working on. <laughs> right. I like that concept because it's a nice way to help them drop their guard a little bit by telling you that, Kristen, you, yeah, you, you got some things right, but let me also tell you where some things you missed out, but it opens up a conversation. Yeah. So uh, besides asking, what are you guys doing? Is there some other no-nos in a, in a discovery call? Anything that you can Google and, and know the answer to. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What do you do? How many employees do you have? How many? How long you been around? Like yeah. you can find that in three minutes on Google. Like all the questions we asked you in the beginning. Yeah, exactly. This is, a diff- this is a different. This is a different <laughs> setting. You're not asking me to buy anything. You're letting me uh, be on your platform. So I hope you have your checkbook ready. <laughs> Uh, we come to that in the end. In the end of the episode, that's that's how we. <laughs> Excellent. I don't even know where my checkbook is. <laughs> no. Uh, so moving on a little bit further here. Um, eventually, we come to a situation where you want to have a demo, or the customer asks for a proof of concept, and so on. So, um, based on your previous and current uh, experience, how do you have any key learnings that you can share? That that sort of worked well uh, around demos and proof of concepts? Um, so n- no demo without discovery. Okay. It, generally now with everything moving to like a, being a platform, there's, and you only have a, a 15 to 30 minutes to actually show anybody anything. And so if you don't know what's important to them, um, you can't show them anything that's relevant. And if they, you know, if they, if they don't, want to tell you anything, then, then I think the question is like, why is that? Like, Hey, I'm trying, I'd like to make this a conversation that is relevant for you and and makes sense to you. I just want to ask a couple of questions about, um, what your day looks like. And and in particular, like what metrics you're interested in. Are you, if you're in marketing, are you aligned to a pipeline goal? If you're a sales leader, are you more interested in pipeline? Are you more interested in understanding like closed one, like, help me understand what makes this where, where you would like to focus. Um, and I think it's always a red flag. If you get someone on the call that is like, just show me the demo. Does this have to be two separate meetings or can you do both in, in the same meeting? Because some, sometimes, you know, someone signs up for a, yeah, I want to see a demo. And then, you know, they know the space, they have uh, looked at different solutions and then some SDR wants to book a discovery call with you or an account executive. And it's just a waste of my time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think that that is, if you want to start a, if you want to start a um, huge fight on LinkedIn, you can, you can ask that question. Like, what's going to happen? Um, I mean, in my, in my experience, it depends on the product, right? Yeah. Like, but I think a, a good, anyone who is good at leading a discovery call is going to ask you where you want to focus. And, and if, and then by the answers you give, we'll know what you have already looked at. So if I ask you, Hey, Thomas, where would you, you know, I want to make sure this is valuable. Where would you like to focus today? And you tell me, 
Well, I saw both of the demos on your website and I looked at the CSM use case and then I looked at the particular customer case that Jim did with you. I know instantly that I should not really start with a 101 with you. That and I and I frequently say that to people. Like I don't want to, you know, just tell me some people have never seen our website. Some people have fallen down a rabbit hole and looked at it for an hour. I never want to retread anything you already know. Tell me, should we start with just the 10,000 foot view or do you do you have specific questions and we can just dig into the 301? I want to make it not seem like they didn't do their homework if they came never looking at the website, right? So I can say it's a, it's a spectrum. Everybody, everyone from, I took the call because the SDR was persistent too. I've been studying your website for three days because I can't not think about it. You know what I mean? Like it, right. both are fine. Yeah. I just, and again, with the range, right? Like I just want to understand where they are. Um, and so you have to be prepared for any of that um, in our space because there is no separate UI to demo. It's just automation that takes place in the background. It's not that hard to do with a, a first, a light discovery and a light demo so people get what they came for, and then as and then that conversation will kind of lead the way to what the next meeting should look like. But uh, let's say also going back to your previous experience that you had you you had the discovery call, you come to the next step to the demo stage. What would you say? What is the most important thing in in that kind of of session? Yeah, um, two things. Kind of what we talked about earlier about what goes away, right? The best demos I've seen are from the perspective of what goes away, which is which is highly personalized to whatever problem they want to go away. Um, like the, I mean, the demo has to show that you were paying attention. What in the discovery? Whether the discovery was ten minutes or you know, if you're at, at Salesforce, it'll be an hour <laughs> of discovery with six VPs before before you'll ever see a problem. Okay, um, but it. But it has, I mean, it has to make sense. It has to make sense. And I think when I was at Tableau, the, the biggest thing that stuck with me is that you demo to the so what. So if you show something, the it should always follow the reason this is important or the reason I'm showing this to you or the impact here is or the what goes away because I should never show you a feature just to show you a feature It, it because you are if if many founders are probably familiar with like the jobs to be done methodology, right? Like you are hiring this software to do a job. And so I need to show you that it's going to do that job, not that it can do three other jobs that you don't care about. Three ways to fail in sales brought to you by memory. One, clog your pipeline. The fuller it is, the fuller you feel. Tip two, never use a plan. Predictability, it's just boring. Three, forget the CRM. Probably sucks anyway. If you're ready to take control of your sales and make how you sell your competitive advantage, try Membrane for free today at Membrane.com. So what do you say about proof of concepts? Should you do them? The customer says, I want to see it with my own data. I want to see it uh, customized this or that way. Should you do it? Uh-huh. Also, if you want to start a fight on LinkedIn, do that. <laughs> yeah. do that. He's a troublemaker, this guy. I'm not a founder. I haven't done a product, but I will say from a I will say from a sales perspective, there are a couple of problems that I have seen with those, and there are a couple of best practices that help with those. 
The first is if you give any, Tableau would, would give you a 30 day license of their product for free, Okay. which sounds amazing. And it is. But when people have no skin in the game, they don't put much effort in. Yeah. And so when you just say like, here's and the only time, the only thing that you've only constraint you've given them is time. So much will, so many more things will pile on their plate in those 30 days that they will then try to do something with it maybe in the last 10 days. And then they will be upset that it doesn't, they, they're not instantly good at it. And then the product will get blamed, right? Whenever it's, but so proof of concepts can be very, they can be very, they'll, they're very impactful <laughs> for good or evil uh, one way or the other. Um, I will say that the best ways that I've seen it done require something on behalf of the prospective client. Yeah. They, re- they require some time, some money, and some commitments. Okay. Right? So it may just, it may be a very light lift. It may be a light, like a light services package to, um, to help with installing correct setup in a light training package. I've seen it done that way. Okay. Um, and then on the, on the time piece, like they need to be willing to commit up front here are the three resources that we need from your side. We need a project manager. We need a liaison um, between ops and sales. And I need a sales leader. Like, can you do these people have enough bandwidth? And is this important enough for them to show up? And if they say, yes, great. I have my calendar open. Let's put those calls on the calendar right now. Right. And if, and then if they're doing that, great. Um, there have to, there have to be check-in points and it has to be for a very limited amount of time and there has to be success criteria. If you can't tell me what you are hoping to get out of this, we shouldn't be doing a proof of concept because you're not proving a concept. Mm. Like let's define what the concept is. Are we going do we want to be 20% better? Do we want to see 2 million in error? Do we want to save 36% of our SDR's time? Like what are we trying to prove here? Let's define that so that we know what success looks like going in. That makes a, makes a lot of sense. And makes me also think about, uh, generally speaking, you know, all salespeople, we want to make sure we keep a pace and momentum in our deals, especially now a lot of people are going into Q4 last quarter of the year and so on. And a salesperson that says that they haven't been ghosted or lost pace or too long in between session, he or she is lying. So what, what, what is your trick and what are your tips here? How do you keep that momentum going all the time? Yeah. So, um, the first one is from, um, the training that we did in, in both places, that executive training, which is, and it's a very interesting com- concept, which is called the law of two X which says that salespeople generally give people twice as long as they need to make a decision because they don't want to be seen as pushy. They want to be accommodating. They don't want to hear no. If I say, Daniel, it seems like we've had a good conversation. It seems like this aligns with like with your Q4 initiatives. Um, can you get me the data for a proof of concept by Friday? And then maybe we can, and then I can bring it back to review for you on Wednesday. Would that work for you? And that sets the tone, right? That things move a little differently than you might expect with me. And then if you say, there is no way I can get you this data. I have to, I have to, we have to do security first and I need to talk to my ops person and they're on vacation. And so we won't be able to do this for a month. And I say, oh, okay, well, it sounded like that this was important for Q4, but we really won't even be able to start 
for a month. Will Do we still have time to get this in in Q4 or is this really more likely like a Q1 initiative, right? Like we have to help people think through. And if, and if they can't do things fast, it's fine because there really are those constraints sometimes, but we just have to know what they are. And, and if there's not those constraints, then like, why not? Right. What, is there a reason we can't do it Friday? Is there a reason we can't then follow up on Wednesday? And the other thing is like, that's another kind of litmus test. If it's important enough to an executive, they will move some things around. Uh, even if they are booked, because many times they are. Um, so that's a good like litmus test. Um, the other thing um, that I learned is something that my uh, mentor, one of my mentors, Justin Reese, called he called them sell betweens, which is this is something that you send um, to your the folks that you're in an evaluation with in between meetings um, to get them excited about the next meeting. Again, I think because I was the buyer, I really shy away from sending anything that my company developed. I want to send thought leadership. I want to I want to send industry research. I want to send something from Forbes or Harvard Business Review because they don't know me. So why should they believe anything that I am saying? Right. Whenever I was the buyer, I sure didn't. So I want to send something that is credible, right? And then also something that they are, would be interested in. So like, um, so now, if, if and I think this is one of the best uses of sales engagement software, people that think sales engagement is only for prospecting are, are missing out because if you have an outreach or sales loft, you can set up a nurture sequence as, an, as a rep that drips out every four days or every five days or what, or two weeks or whatever your whatever aligns with your time frame. Hey, I saw this article um, in Forbes and it speaks to um, what execs are thinking about in your industry. I thought point number two about whatever was interesting. Cheers. Yep. Uh, hey, I saw this Gartner research. I was thinking about how this would impact your team excited to, to for our next meeting. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be something, um, individualized necessarily it doesn't have to be something too specific it's just reinforcing your credibility and it's keeping that momentum it's keeping you top of mind right that makes a lot of sense and what is your take on uh, using and leveraging uh, people sometimes refer to them uh, common close plans or success plans where you agree you know here are the next 25 steps that we need to do okay. <laughs> let's backfill the dates you should never show 25 <laughs> steps even if there are you should show three to five at a time um your brain can only handle like a certain amount of things um one of the things that i started doing um a couple of years ago that i've continued to do um is create a visual timeline mm-hmm and you can you can find these i think i googled like visual timeline for like for visual timeline for Google slides and there are slides that are already out there that just show five bubbles with a little infographic and then you fill it in um, because I the human brain is very visual and showing someone five bubbles with colors and images that correspond to them is going to hit their brain a lot faster than just showing them text. So it should be my view just based on our brain where our brain works. It should be very visual and it should be very quick. It should be three to five things because the other thing is people don't like doing things that are hard. And 
if you're in, if we're in a sales cycle together, my part of my job is to make it easy for you to buy something that is going to help you. Right. Right. And so I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to show you here are the next five steps that we need to do. And I'm going to send it to you or I'm going to ideally I'm going to talk about it, talk to you about it um, on, on a call. And I want you to again, I don't have to have it exactly right, because the more you correct me and the more you say, no, we need to move this date here. We need to move this date here the more I know about the way you want this to go, like your timelines and priorities. Um, and then that is mutual then, right? And then I can send that uh, as a follow-up. Hey, Daniel, it was great to talk to you today. Here's the five, you know, here's the five steps that we talked about and, and that we agreed, like this looks pretty good for a timeline for your end. Right. Um, and then we can, and because it's visual and it's, and I've taken a snapshot of it, like, we can keep coming back to that. I will flash that up at the next meeting. Okay, this is what we talked about last time. What's changed? Because in execs world, things change all the time, right? Right. So we just, then it gives something to react against. So how early can you pull up this timeline, like in this buying cycle? When is too early? Um, yeah, I like the classic sales answer is like, it depends, right? <laughs> um, but I think... Um, they they have to be bought in, right? Like they have to want it, right? Like you can't do you can't do it on a discovery call, right? Right? Like that wouldn't work. Um, but I would say, depending on how long your sales cycle is, by the time you're on by the time you're on a third call with them, you could probably introduce something like that. If they have shown up for three calls in a row for you, if they they've come and looked at it, then they bring their boss into it and then their boss brings somebody else from a different department. Now everybody's had a chance to see it. Now we can start saying, okay, sales has seen it, marketing seen it, ops seen it. Now everybody has different calendars. Here's something that I've put together. How does this look to the group? And then everybody gets to react to it. But yeah, I would definitely say not a first or second call. Um, but but the but when you but there when there is momentum and you understand what internal like energy and initiatives you're aligning with then it becomes important to under to really nail down, you know, not not what I want as far as when when I want this deal to come in, but what what is what is your timeline so that I have a, a appropriate like expectations. And sometimes the person on the other side hasn't really thought. And this is the other thing about that particular thing. Skip Miller's talk about talks about buyers buy backwards, right? Like if we're talking about user gems, okay, when would you like your salespeople to start being able to get back in touch with people who have bought from them before. Okay, it sounds like you have really lofty pipeline goals for Q1. When does Q1 start for you? Okay, it starts January 1st. So if we take if if we have three weeks of setup and we have holidays, that's all of December. And then we work backwards because people haven't thought through that because they have a million other fires. So when you help them think through that and you do it visually, uh, you're you're helping them understand and uh, helping them get what they want. Yeah. So as a final question here regarding regarding sales. So in order to be successful, what are the things you need to master? Would you say what what should companies invest in enabling their reps? Well, that's a loaded <laughs> that's a loaded question. Um, I, I think kind of putting a bow on it is like ending where we begin, which is, which is executive conversations. Like Kevin Dorsey and I were talking about this and he was saying, because these companies, because SaaS companies grow so fast and they're so new, many times we don't have um, a lot of education for the reps about the industry. 
about who your buyer is and what do they care about. We, we educate them on a lot of product. So the, the first kind of easiest way to equip reps from day one is not product knowledge on day one, but I would say persona knowledge on day one. Okay. Who are the three personas on your buying committee and what three problems, two or three problems, do we generally solve for them? And why is that important? Right, exactly. Right. And then also, and then like, and then what is their vocabulary? When marketers speak, they, they talk in terms of MQLs or sales or sales qualified leads, or they have a pipeline goal, like uh, understanding who am I talking to and what language do they speak? Because salespeople need to be viewed, the quicker you can be not viewed as an outsider, the better you are. Yeah. And in, and vocabulary and language makes you one of us. Right. Right. And so the faster you can know that, and that's really, that's really the executive conversation too, right? It's language. It's knowing what conversations sound like with my persona, knowing what conversations sound like at the different levels of the organization, you know, end users, managers, executives, like training on those things is way more important than product knowledge, especially if people are lucky enough to have uh, someone like Thomas, where they have a technical seller who is who understands like how the sausage is made and <laughs> and where it all plugs in, right? The job of the the job of the AE who is who should be coordinating that whole thing is to set that person up for success, right? Help them understand what is important to this buyer so that they know the right thing to show. Yeah, right. I like that. The re- the reason why Thomas has been successful is because of me. I teed it up. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, likewise. Not quite what I said. (laughs) All right. Uh, But I I think that's great. And uh, thank you for that insight. So if we look a bit further on here and uh, where you work now at User Gems, what is the future uh, for you guys? It's like we're on on a rocket ship, which is amazing. I think because of the current like economic environment where people are um, where pipeline is drying up a lot of times, like it's important to know the people that have bought from you before. Um, we are, um, you know, growing, growing like gangbusters as far as, as far as IPO or acquisition. I think, I think we're a long, I think we're a long way from that. And I, I asked, um, our CEO kind of what his preference was when I started, like, would you prefer to be acquired? Would you prefer to IPO? And he said, I think it's, I think people who founders who concentrate on that are concentrating in the wrong spot. They need to concentrate on making a product that people can't live without. And then we can decide later um, what happens to it. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. So let, let's hope you're not uh, growing too fast because you wanted to work for a little bit smaller company, right? <laughs> for a while at least. Cool. But um, is there anything particular that you're looking for right now uh, professionally? Um. I think the opportunity to help salespeople who don't get any training is interesting to me, right? And the, the ability to be able to do that, it's astounding to me, um, the lack of training, the lack of like training that, pe- that people get. I talked to a, a young lady who, um, like within the last 10 days, who was an SDR for six months at a certain type of startup. She got hired as an AE at another startup within that same industry, and she got hired in May, and it's October. She has never received a product training. All right. She's never received a sales process training. They just hired like a, a growth 
you know, VP, which she's like, he's great. I'm sure he's going to help. But I was like, how are you demoing? How can you demo anything? And she's like, well, this, the one other AE who's here, he's done stuff like this before. So I just listened to his demos and then I've read the stuff on our website. And then I just do off of that. And I was like, well, kudos for grit. And also that's terrible. (laughs) You should have gotten a little more help than that. So, Christian, let, let me ask you this, and, and uh, I get it, it's about resources and, and, you know, depending on the size of the organization, you may or may not be able to offer this, but who should cater for this training in an organization? Who is responsible for training and equipping the SDRs, the sales reps, the AEs, and so on? Yeah, I mean, obviously, depending on the size of the organization, you may have a enablement department, you may have a sales excellence department. I would say just like the best sales reps own their own development or work towards that, like the best sales leaders own the development of their teams. Um, I was with my first um, startup that I was with, they did not have an enablement department and our manager like arranged three different uh, meetings. One of which was like a book club, one of which was a deal review. One of which was um, we went through like a, um, like a, what went wrong? Like he didn't have a lot of resources, but he just like got in there and enabled because he had a very young and inexperienced team. And so he just put extra time on the calendar and, and made it happen. So I think it, it can, and, and they don't, I don't think managers have to do all of it by themselves either. Right. Aspireship has an incredible training program for um, AEs and SDRs and they part of their content is free and then you can opt in and like that would be a very low lift for organizations to say if you want to be part of this training we'll pay for half of it or we'll pay for two-thirds of it or if you complete it we'll pay for all of it right like it doesn't have to be directly done by the organization there's lots of ways to equip your people if if that's important to you. Awesome. This was uh, this was a pleasure. Um, much appreciated. And uh, I wish I'd have known you 20 years ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would have been a much better salesperson and Thomas would have had even much more success because I could have teed him up for even greater demos. <laughs> Uh, no, this 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 was um, very useful and insightful. So much appreciated. I hope you enjoyed it as well, Kristen. I did. It was it was fun. I, I, these are conversations I like having. Right. This is why I like talking to salespeople. Is people are interested in in getting better and always have some some interesting stories. So yeah, it's always fun. That was great. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Take care now. All right. Have a good one. So Daniel, what are your takeaways from from this episode that I I know that you have longed to do and focus on sales? You know me, I get excited when we talk to to fellow sales folks, uh, lots of stuff. One thing that I think is is really interesting is how she explained the concept about either you can pitch your product towards a greater good, so you use our product and you will sell more and so on, but that's proven scientifically that it's not ideal to pitch that way. It's much better to pitch it as you're moving away from a potential problem. So like she said, you know, your, your sales rep are spending way too much time on prospecting and so on. What if you could cut that time with X and so on? Yeah. So I think that, that was really interesting and really easy, nicely done from her to explain a very complex actually exercise so I, I like that yeah yeah what about you Thomas good one for sure and easy to remember so uh, yeah yes also one of the main ones here I, I like what she said about learning to sell to executives 
I, I think that is something that I haven't seen training on that now I I mean I have actually been been a sales <laughs> account executive most of my years but you know I've basically never had any training, so <laughs> this would uh, this would probably have made me a more successful salesperson. But but you know there were other uses of, of me instead of, of being that sales rep. So um, thank you for that. So maybe if I got this training, I would still be a sales rep. In that case, I'm lucky you never got it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, but I think it's it's uh, very useful to understand you know the the life of an executive and and how you are you need to navigate that arena so um, yeah good one yeah uh, I don't know where you get those trainings but uh, I think we heard some some names mentioned and so on from from my experience and my personal point that this is like it, it needs to be housed to the extent possible by your employer yeah for sure it needs it needs to be live in in your employer but that that requires that you have leaders that can tackle that or that you have an academy person or people or team that can tackle that. But yeah, I like that. Yeah. But I have a task for you, Daniel, Yeah. since you are writing the show notes, and that is to include the books and the thought leaders and so on that are mentioned in this episode so people can look them up. So uh, I think that would be good. You're forcing me to re-listen to the episode again. Exactly, because people will hold you accountable. Okay, okay, fair enough. All right, we are uh, moving on with preparing for next year here. We are taking applications for our CEO network and our executive network. Um, so if you're not a CEO and executive, you can't listen in in order to understand how executive thinks. But if you're a CEO and executive, you should definitely apply. You can go to the website, sasnordic.com, and you can find those things under uh, community and, and apply. Yeah, the networks are obviously a big thing. and. A lot of you guys have also asked about what's happening with Sassiest 2023, the in-person event. And I can I can tell you here that it's booked. It's booked in Malmö, April 18th to 19th of next year. And we've actually opened up the, the gates here. So if you want to contribute, whether that's like uh, topics that we need to, to discuss and present, if you have some suggestions for speakers, or if you want to be a partner to create this day together with us. And I think, Thomas, you know this better than I know. Like, we probably uh, have welcomed already half a dozen of partners already, but there's some some spots left or uh, quite a few spots left. So Absolutely. Where do they contact us if they want to be part of this? One way is to email contact at sasnordic.com, but you can also hit us up at LinkedIn, just ping us, and we will answer you right away. That's right. That's what we do here. So if you want to be part of the, the greatest show in the Nordics next year, then you know where to find us. All right, but thank you for listening. I hope you will have a great day and see you soon.